This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Good afternoon and welcome to the Sunday edition of the best of Fight Back. More of what you want to hear from the week that was. Is retirement turning out to be what you expected? Would you describe your lifestyle as frugal? According to a new survey by Sun Life Financial, a quarter of retired Canadians say they live that way. And nearly half of those still in the workforce feel that they are at risk of outliving their retirement savings. The poll also shows nearly half of the people surveyed expect to be working at the age of 66. To discuss this important issue to Zoomers, Libby Snymer was joined by Adam Fitch, financial planner with Stewart and Kett, and Jacques Goulet, president of Sun Life Canada. Canadians have to take stock of all this and realize that planning for retirement is very important and it's something that uh, you don't get to do over a second chance if you miss it the first time. So it is a strong call to action. Adam, does it surprise you that a quarter of Canadians uh, say that they are living a very frugal lifestyle? It, it's it's not surprising. I think you know, it, it can be to some degree subjective and people often have uh, an idea in their minds of what retirement will look like uh, without necessarily having a full understanding of the cost of that, um, particularly when they've stopped working and they're living off of their savings and any relevant government benefits. You know, people may find that as they're getting close to retirement or as they're in their early retirement years, that the the money is necessarily going to last as long as they may have hoped. Uh, you know, life expectancies are what they are. It, it, retirement in general is a it's a really difficult challenge. You know, you you have uh, 30, 35, 40-year working life, maybe, uh, to then fund an extra 25, 30 years of retirement. So it's it, it's a, a difficult thing. And for someone to retire and then not necessarily be able to meet their goals, I, I think it's very common. So whether someone's calling it frugal or just thinking that, oh, you know, it'd be nice to do this thing that is on my bucket list that I may just not be able to do. Uh, I think it's a really common thing. Jacques, you talk about retirement planning, but in your survey, you also pointed out that for a lot of people, they it's it's all they can do to just live their lives. We've seen savings rates plummet, but at the end of the day, uh, isn't it always a question of, you know, sometimes there's just not enough money to do all of that? The task is hard. It's complicated to plan for retirement. And so that to me is a reminder of how important it is to get advice. You know, there are professionals out there. It's a, it's a complex uh, set of planning that we have to do. And in our view, it, it starts with getting great advice. And, and of course, we're focused on retirement here, at Libby, but you can think of you know, people ask themselves questions like, you know, can can I afford to, you know, change career and be in a job that might be pays less but has more potential down the road and I have to retrain? Can I afford to take a sabbatical and spend time with my family, which is something that many people would like to do? 
you know, what happens if um, I, I lose my job and I still have, you know, kids in school that I need to put them through? So, so yes, retirement is important, but I would say generally planning for life uh, requires, um, you know, getting some help and, and, and getting some great advice. Adam, uh, what about you? Uh, do you see cases where, I mean, you know, everybody says you've got a plan, but but saving rates are down and people are just, you know, living paycheck to paycheck often? For a lot of people, you know, it's it's hard to have the wherewithal or even have the kind of mental capacity to take a step back and look more broadly at, okay, how am I going to plan for the future, especially if you're really just getting by and getting the bills paid day to day, I think there, there may still be opportunities to create a plan. You, know, you never know what the future will hold, but there may be more opportunities there to create some more financial freedom than you realize. Or the advice may be just helping you get things more organized uh, financially in terms of figuring out what is the real critical spending that I'm doing and are there ways that I can cut that are not going to be so painful. You know, we have, we have clients that, that make six figures and live paycheck to paycheck, unfortunately. So, you know, so much of, uh, so much of the advice that we give is individualized because everyone has their own, uh, their own constraints and their own priorities on what is quote-unquote essential spending. So I think for uh, millions of Canadians, just sitting down with a professional and just talking through what are my options, what are my priorities, are there ways that I can you know, let my dollars stretch further that I'm just not seeing, uh, I think it can really have a, a benefit even if someone may feel like they're not necessarily seeing any easy solutions right away. Adam Fitch, financial planner with Stewart and Kett, and Jacques Goulet, president of Sun Life Canada. You're listening to the best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. From financial planning to estate planning, Mark Halpern joined Libby on Wednesday for a conversation about life insurance. Mark is a certified financial planner, trust and estate practitioner, and master financial advisor. So first of all, you should just know, Woody Allen said something great. He said, the only thing worse than death is spending the night with a life insurance advisor. Okay. So it's not a topic we like to talk about. It's kind of icky, right? And uh, most people, there there are three kinds of people who buy insurance, Libby. Uh, Somebody buys insurance because they love somebody and, you know, they've got a, a mortgage, they've got young children who still have to be educated or they need it for replacing their income. That's probably 80% of the population. But there's another group that buys life insurance because they don't like the government having their handout after their death, wanting somewhere between 27 and 54% of their assets. So they use insurance as a way to come up with the money that's going to be necessary to pay those taxes so that they can preserve their estate for their family or for charities. And then the other type of person who buys life insurance realizes that we don't have a lot of shelters left in Canada other than your principal residence and your TFSA and maybe winning the lottery. Life insurance is part of the tax act and actually allows people to accumulate their money on a tax uh, sheltered basis and actually access it if they need it and also pass it along on a tax-free basis. Okay. So if you collect insurance, 
is that tax? No, tax, uh, life insurance is paid out tax-free. Okay. And uh, people will generally have a named beneficiary on that as well. It also uh, protects you against creditors because if you have a named beneficiary of a spouse or a child or a, or a charitable institution, um, it will be paid out tax-free. So imagine paying... Uh, for insurance for pennies on the dollars, right? To create these larger insurance dollars and have them paid out to people that you care about. And I think that comes down to planning though. It's not, it's not buying something as a transaction. It's not like here, buy this. This is what it costs. It really has to be part of somebody's overall financial planning to really understand what is their tax bill going to be like? Do they have enough money at retirement? Can they give away money now to their loved ones? Do they have money available to give to charities? And how much never spend money do they have where really they're just paying taxes on that money? In other words, they're the custodian or trustee for the next generation. Can we use some of that money that won't impact their lifestyle right now and buy this tax-exempt insurance to make sure that their estate is preserved? I know that life insurance is a lot cheaper when you're young and healthy. And I'm assuming that by the time uh, most people listening today are thinking about it, they're probably not that young anymore. So can anybody who is, say, in their 50s, 60s, 70s, buy life insurance? And and isn't it expensive? Yeah, so you're right. The only way you can acquire insurance is you have to be healthy, right? And then it's based on your age and your smoking status and whatnot. And yes, it becomes more cost cost prohibitive as you get older. But the type of insurance that I'm referring to when it comes to estate planning is something called joint last to die insurance. In other words, it's an insurance policy that's purchased on ideally a husband and a wife. So in case you're paying much less premiums for it, but it pays out on the second to die of the husband and wife, which is when the taxes are due. So there's a, there's a significant amount of arbitrage in terms of the costs, because let's say they'll put two 65 year olds into kind of like an actuarial time machine and they'll put them down as a 52 year old male. So the pricing is only based on a 52 year old male as opposed to a 65 year old. Mark, anything you want to leave us with? Well, it's, uh, as I said, the time to deal with all of these important matters is while the sun is shining. We all have incompletions in our mind and we don't always appreciate how much they rob us of energy. So it's best to look after this. And I think I'm on next week as well. You're right. having me and we're going to be speaking about philanthropy. Because, of course, as soon as December, most people, myself included, make most of their charitable contributions at the end of the year before they deal with their taxes. So we're going to find, we're going to hopefully in, you know, help people understand how they can maximize their giving and at the same time, minimize their taxes by being philanthropic and charitable. That was Mark Halpern, certified financial planner, trust and estate practitioner and master financial advisor. You're listening to Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. What do you think about the new Trudeau minority government cabinet? Did the prime minister make all of the right moves to try and heal division in the nation witnessed in the results of last month's federal election? While filling in for Libby Snymer on Thursday, I was joined by liberal strategist Charles Byrd, who offered the highlights as he sees them. Obviously, the formation of a cabinet in any new government is is a fairly significant event. We have uh, a cabinet of 36 individuals, equally balanced between men and women, as was the case in 2015. We've seen some notable promotions, most notably that of Christopher Freeland, a Toronto area MP who will now be Deputy Prime Minister 
Minister of Intergovernmental Affairs in charge of uh, the Canada-US-Mexico trade agreement, chiefly responsible for liaising with provincial premiers on a number of key issues, especially in Western Canada. Justin Trudeau regards her if not his right-hand person. I mean, she's right in there. She and Bill Morneau um, likely would be seen as uh, his two most valuable players. Given the success that she has had so far with the renegotiation of NAFTA, is it fair to say that she is likely to be successful at the diplomacy required to bring the West and Central Canada together? I would certainly hope so. I think that is that is um, very much the thinking behind the prime minister's decision. I mean, let's be clear: Miss Freeland is is a remarkably capable individual. She proved herself very adept in her former portfolio of foreign affairs. Um, she is smart. She is strategic, but part of part of her appointment is really a, a political reality, and I've I've alluded to it in the past, and that is the fact that. The Prime Minister is a very polarizing individual for a lot of Canadians, and that's especially true of conservative Canadians who just, uh, he drives them batty. I right, but they say. like Christian Freeland. But they, they like Christian yes. Freeland. And, and, you know, and that's especially true of conservative premiers, especially in Western Canada, where there might be a political temptation to always want to be duking it out with the Prime Minister. And instead, here's the Deputy Prime Minister who can approach these issues a little, with a little, you know, a little more under the radar, a little less media attention, a little more direct down to business, that sort of thing. The big question is whether the premiers will be satisfied dealing with the deputy prime minister or whether they might insist on dealing with the prime minister himself. And I'm very keen to talk about uh, to talk about Doug Ford. Okay, let's do it. He, not that long ago, just an hour, a couple of hours ago, Doug Ford came out in front of his office door at Queen's Park, which he doesn't do very often, and says he wants to collaborate with the Liberals What's good for Ontario, he said, is good for Canada. What's good for Canada is good for Ontario. He's saying all the right thing. Can we get political for a minute? Sure. I think the premier has quite wisely decided that, you know, now is the time for cooperation. But at the same time, he also is emerging as something of a champion for national unity at a time when national unity is starting to become more of an issue. And so it looks like it looks to me like Premier Ford is setting himself up as a very clear contrast to, to Premier Kenny of Alberta. And why would he be doing that? He would be doing that because Andrew Scheer's leadership is in very serious doubt. And conservatives from across the country will gather in Toronto next April, and they will vote on whether they want Mr. Scheer to continue as their leader. And in my conversations with conservatives, it's very clear to me that Mr. Scheer is in a lot of trouble in that regard, which could set up a doozy of a succession race. And clearly, if either of them were to decide to run, Jason Kenney and Doug Ford would be Absolute front runners. You could probably throw Rona Ambrose and Peter McKay into that mix, but um, it's it's becoming increasingly clear that that Andrew Shearer is going to have a very difficult time holding on to his job because, as Peter McKay said, the Conservative Party, given the events of 2019, were shown an empty net, and all they had to do was skate down the ice and put the puck in the net, and and Andrew Shearer failed to deliver in that regard. And there's a lot of conservatives who will not forgive him for that. Doug Ford is is a no shrinking violet. Um, he is, you know, he he will stand up and he will fight for what he believes to be the priorities of Ontarians. Um, 
But it is interesting to see what is clearly a substantial shift in in the Conservatives' thinking at Queen's Park in terms of how they feel they have to deal with the federal government. And as Doug Ford himself said, it's time to get shovels in the ground. It's time to start building infrastructure. And we have an Ontario Minister of Infrastructure who has a lot of leeway to, to work cooperatively with the provinces. And, you know, with so many Liberal seats in Ontario, it stands to reason that there are real opportunities here. My conversation on Thursday with Liberal strategist Charles Byrd ahead of Premier Doug Ford's meeting on Friday with Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. You're listening to the best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Have you been getting more calls from scammers lately? There is the older and aggressive Canada Revenue Agency scam and also a Service Canada scam. The claim is that allegations have been linked to the victim's social insurance number and that they will be arrested and imprisoned if they don't call back. There's also plenty of online phishing that can be very hard to distinguish from the real thing. In the first seven months of 2019, the Canadian Anti-Fraud Centre received over 20,000 reports of scams amounting to over $43 million in losses. And with millions of Canadians having their data breached through information given to major corporations, Air Canada, Honda, Bell Canada, and so on, it's impossible to know who has your personal information. We got a refresher on what the scammers are up to with Yaniv Orr, Vice President of Technology and Data here at Zoomer Media, and Jeff Thompson, Senior RCMP Intelligence Analyst with the Canadian Anti-Fraud center. I always say these scams come in waves. It's a game of numbers. So the more people they they, they call and the more people they continue to call, the, the more likely they are to get a victim. The uh, CRA scam is, is pretty old where you get a, a very aggressive call telling you that you owe money in taxes and, and you better pay up. And sometimes they actually send someone. This Service Canada uh, SIN scam, is, is that newer? It's been around for uh, probably a year now, um, but yeah, it certainly is, we've seen a spike in the past uh, couple months with the, the Service Canada slash Department of Justice type scam. So there's a couple different names they use in this call, uh, and it's, it really is an evolution of the CRA scam, right? We've done a, lot, a really good job of educating Canadians about the CRA scam, scam and uh, people are more aware of it. So it's it's natural for for fraudsters to uh, change things up, right? So let's not say CRA anymore. Let's say Service Canada. Let's say there's fraud in your SIN number. Number, and you need to do exactly what we're telling you instead of saying you'll back taxes. So it's just a little twist on uh, on the extortion scam. When you get a call like this, it can say that it's from the OPP or it can say that it's from some courthouse. That's right. Yeah. So, and, and let's be clear here. They're not calling from the courthouse number. They're just making that phone number appear on your call display. So, so it's, there is a way to manipulate what shows up on your call display. Um, and, and, you know, so what better way to say it's Service Canada and you have a uh, Government of Canada number displayed on your on your call display and it says Government of Canada, so you're more likely to, to believe it, right? It's a, it's a way to authenticate that call in some ways, but uh, but you really can't trust it today. You can't trust that call display. I would like to now bring in as well Yaniv Orr, and he's the Vice President of Technology and Data here at Zoomer Media. And uh, just by serendipity, because I was reading about all these extra phone scams, uh, he started a series of, of uh, seminars for all the employees here so that we can be on the lookout for scams. And, and most of those come in by email, right? Uh, yes, Libby. Thank you for having me today. Email is the most popular uh, scam still these days, 
but they're all rising in their frequency. And what are some of the scams? What do some of the emails uh, say or purport? They're very diversified. Some of them are very similar. Some of them will ask you to buy iTunes cards because they're currently in a birthday party and they don't have access to their wallet or something like that. And they just want you to send them the go and buy the iTunes card. And, and is, is that code. does that purport to be from someone that you know? Uh, yes, most of these actually come from emails that were hacked and had you in their contacts. So someone you might know may have their personal email account hacked, and then the hackers utilize that email in order to send you those phishing attempts. How do you recognize if something is real or not real? Uh, well, first of all, consistency. If something comes to you from someone you potentially know, but it's a request they've never made before, then it's less likely to actually be from them. People don't really change overnight. You have some sort of relationship with someone. Normally, they're consistent in their behavior towards you. Asking for money out of the blue while they never asked before is a very big red light. Uh, when we talk about people you know, you always have the ability to also pick up the phone and ask them whether it's actually correct or not. Anything that tries to put a sense of urgency in you with respect to emails or even uh, phone scams is a very, very big red light. Most uh, government officials or most organizations as well will not try to impose a sense of urgency on you. So if there's a sense of urgency, stay back, think about it some more and see whether it's actually valid or not. Jeff Thompson, what would you like to leave us with? You know, spread the awareness, like you said, uh, get people talking about the scams. Be sure you, you call your friends and family and make sure they're aware of the scams. The more people talk about it, the more we can spread the, mes uh, the messaging and fraud prevention awareness. So uh, be diligent, recognize, reject, report. Okay. And Yaniv, what would you like to leave us with? Uh, I would absolutely agree that these are the important things. The more people talk about it, the more people become aware of it. And just don't fall for the false sense of urgency that they're trying to prompt in you. Yaniv Orr, Vice President of Technology and Data here at Zoomer Media. And Jeff Thompson, Senior RCMP Intelligence Analyst with the Canadian Anti-Fraud Centre. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. Fight Back with Libby Snymer brings you comprehensive coverage of the news stories that interest you and your reaction to them on the phones. We've gone through the audio. Here are some of the best calls of the week. Linda and Chesley called to give her first-hand knowledge of how younger workers are approaching financial retirement planning. I said to my daughter, she's uh, 49, are you putting anything away for retirement? And she looked at me as if I had horns growing out of my head. And she said, no. And I said, well, why not? Uh, because she says, I'm living now, not then. And I don't know who's right and who's wrong because she's enjoying her life and I'm, I'm trying to live, I live alone and I'm a widower. And I'm living on that old age pension and CPP. Don in Toronto called to offer his advice on dealing with phone scammers. Regarding the call display, if I don't know who the individual is, I just don't answer it. And if they leave a message and it's not something that I want to deal with, I just delete the message and delete the number. I would go to the police department and call directly or the bank if it were an issue and I would find out if it's legit. And again, I just delete it. John phoned from Thornhill to pass along information on a scam he's experienced. Another scam that we've come across lately is a mortgage refinance 
scam in which it's a mortgage, mortgage company that will call, and they sound very professional on the phone. Uh, they would like to like you to pay an upfront fee to work with, you know, your lender and get, you know, maybe a, a better deal on, on your mortgage. But the problem is they also want you to get uh, prepaid cards. The long and the short of it is you're, you're going to lose the money. And now, Fightback's Knockout Call of the Week. There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fightback Knockout Call of the Week comes from Robert in Mount Forest, who provided some levity when we talked about phone and internet scams. If I get a call, let's just say uh, your window is is, um, compromised and we need access to your computer, one of the things that I usually simply say to the the telemarketer is, "Uh, can I ask you a personal question? Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Go ahead. I said, is your mother proud of you? Oh, yes, sir. Very much so. Very proud of me. Does she know she's, you're trying to access my computer and steal my money? The next thing I hear is click. That does it for this week's Best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays at 416-360-0740 on Zoomer Radio. AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca and follow us on Twitter at Fightback Libby. I'm Jane Brown. Make sure to join me again next weekend for a roundup of the best of Fight Back. The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi, with technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.